Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Mary Ann Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. On this show, Robin Bearfield, host of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier podcast, joins us. Robin is going to share a story about disappearances in the Alaska Triangle, a type of vile vortex. So, what is a vile vortex? You've heard the chilling stories about the Bermuda Triangle, right? Well, there are several other mysterious places where ships and planes seem to vanish. There are 12 equidistant areas on the Earth's globe, which are dubbed the vile vortices by Ivan T. Sanderson, a naturalist and paranormal investigator. Sanderson originally plotted these anomalies and first coined the term vile vortices in his article, The Twelve Devil's Graveyards Around the World, published in Saga Magazine in 1972. There seem to be other vile vortices, including the Alaska Triangle. To learn more about these anomalies, jump over to Robin's podcast, Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier, where I explain them in more detail. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Marianne, and hello to all your listeners on Real Ghost Chatter. In my recent podcast episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier, I talked about the Alaska Triangle, an area often compared to the Bermuda Triangle, where people disappear at a higher than normal rate. The Alaska Triangle stretches from Anchorage in south-central Alaska to Juneau in the southeast panhandle to Kiavik, formerly known as Barrow, on Alaska's northern coast. Since 1988, more than 16,000 people have vanished from this area, and every year approximately four people go missing per every 1,000 Alaska residents. This rate is twice the national average. I believe People, planes, and boats disappear at a higher rate in Alaska because Alaska can be a dangerous place. Alaska has some of the most intimidating terrain and geography on the planet. Huge mountains covered by glaciers, pockmarked with deep crevasses and canyons, descend into heavily forested slopes. And these, in turn, plunge into the North Pacific Ocean. Couple this daunting landscape with challenging weather conditions, and you can understand how and why people and planes disappear in the 49th state. Still, I concede Alaska has many unsolved mysteries. People walk into the forest and never return, and boats disappear without ever sending out an SOS signal. Perhaps the biggest mysteries, though, involve aircraft. In my latest episode of Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier, I told the story of the mysterious disappearance in 1950 of a Douglas C-54D Skymaster with 44 people on board. 
The flight disappeared within the space of 28 minutes between two reporting stations. In his last scheduled radio call, the pilot reported no issues, and the weather was good in the area where the plane disappeared. The tragic story of the Douglas C-54D Skymaster leaves plenty of unanswered questions. But the story I'm about to tell you is even stranger. On July 20, 1951, a Canadian Pacific Airlines DC-4 departed Vancouver, British Columbia, headed to Elmendorf Air Force Base near Anchorage. This was a contract flight scheduled for the U.S. Military Air Transport Service during the Korean War. The flight was scheduled to refuel at Elmendorf and again in the Aleutian Islands at Shimia before switching crews and continuing to Tokyo, Japan. The 31 passengers consisted mostly of active duty military or civilians attached to the military. The crew included two pilots, two stewardesses, a navigator, a flight engineer, and a radio operator. The weather was calm until the flight passed Baranoff Island and edged out over the Gulf of Alaska. Turbulence shook the aircraft, but it was not bad enough to concern the pilots. At 11.17 p.m., approximately 30 minutes after passing Sitka, the crew made a routine position report over the Cape Spencer intersection of the Gulf of Alaska. The pilot estimated their arrival over the Yakutat radio range at midnight. The crew reported no problem with the aircraft nor the weather. Sometime over the next 40 minutes, the Canadian Airlines DC-4 disappeared into thin air. No evidence of the plane or its 38 occupants has ever been found, despite an intense search over the next several weeks. The tragic disappearance of the DC-4 is a harrowing story by itself, but it's only part of the tale. A year earlier, a C-54 transport plane crashed into Mount La Perouse, not far from where the Canadian Airlines plane disappeared. In the case of the C-54, investigators speculated the pilot crossed the Cape Spencer intersection in bad weather, became confused about the position, and flew into the mountain. A year and a half after the disappearance of the Canadian Airlines DC-4, a General Dynamics cargo DC-3 crashed into Mount Creolon in bad weather under similar circumstances. Only seven miles separate Mount Creolon and Mount La Perouse, and this is also the same area where the Canadian Airlines DC-4 disappeared. In 1948, a Pacific Alaska Air Express DC-3 disappeared in the same area in bad weather, but it was flying south while the other three airlines were headed north. How could four large planes with well-trained crews either crash or disappear in this one small area of Alaska? Pilot and author Gregory Leifer offers a logical explanation in his book, Aviation Mysteries of the North. Leifer explains the rather confusing system pilots used to navigate in the 1940s and 1950s in Alaska. Pilots followed Morse code signals relayed by range stations. These signals alerted the pilots and navigator to the plane's position within a designated airway. This worked fairly well in good weather, but in bad weather, the pilot had to strain to hear the weak signal in his headphones, and sometimes the signals could swing 
providing inaccurate information to the crew of the aircraft. Most confusing of all, though, at the Cape Spencer intersection, the airway switched from outbound to inbound, forcing pilots to remember to switch from keeping the in-quadrant signal to the right to making sure they maintain their position in the airway by now keeping the in signal to the left. At the same time, the pilot had to remember to switch from the Sitka frequency to the Yakutat frequency. Unfortunately, in 1950, the Sitka and Yakutat frequencies and station identifiers were similar. Gregory Liefer suggests the crew of the Canadian Airlines DC-4 neglected to change frequencies from Sitka to Yakutat after crossing the Cape Spencer intersection. When the crew heard the Morse code end signal to their right instead of to their left, they assumed they were flying too far to the left of the airway. If they tried to correct the perceived error and fly to the right, they could have easily flown into one of the many high peaks of the coastal mountains. A crash into a mountain might have initiated an avalanche of snow that buried the plane so deep it will never be found. After the fatal crash of the General Dynamics DC-3 on Mount Creolon in 1952, authorities changed the similar frequencies and station identifiers at Sitka and Yakutat. Still, Liefer points out that many other civilian and military aircraft have been lost in the general area of the Cape Spencer intersection since World War II. Some disappeared while flying the airway system, while others vanished while operating under visual flight conditions. Liefer notes that most of these planes have never been found. The icy peaks along this section of Alaska must hide dozens of aircraft. A Northwest Airlines DC-4 flying south in the area near the time the Canadian Airlines DC-4 disappeared reported lightning, much stronger winds than were forecasted, and icing conditions. The captain also noted the poor radio reception and erratic swinging of the Yakutat course signal. Did the swinging of the signal cause the Canadian Airlines aircraft to fly off course and into one of the many mountain peaks lining the coast? Those who believe the Alaska Triangle sits on vile vortices are not surprised to hear about malfunctioning course signals in the region because one of the hallmarks of negative energy vortices is that they cause electrical instrumentation to malfunction. The pilot of the Canadian Airlines DC-4 depended on the Morse code signals to maintain the plane's position on the designated airway. Any malfunction of the signals would cause him to fly off course. If he veered to the left, the plane would fly out over open ocean. But if he headed right of the airway, he risked flying into a mountain. Thank you for this great story from the Alaska Triangle, Robin. Again, please hop over to Murder and Mystery in the Last Frontier, where I am Robin's guest today. I will go into more depth about vile vortices, where they are found, and a few stories from the most famous ones. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to M-A-R-Y-A-N-N poll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash m-a-r-y dash a-n-n 
P-O-L-L. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.